The materials provided are for information only and do not constitute as an offer. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors. Neither Zach or Jack are financial advisors. The information contained in this podcast episode has been compiled with considerable care to ensure its accuracy at the date of publication. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made to accuracy or completeness. We shall not be responsible for any consequential effect, nor be liable for any direct, consequential, incidental, indirect loss or damage, however caused, arising from the use of, inability to use, or reliance upon any information or materials provided on this podcast, whether or not such loss or damage is caused by us. Links to third-party sites are provided for your information only. The content and software of these sites have been issued by third parties. As such, we cannot be responsible for the accuracy of information contained in these sites, nor be held liable for any loss or damage arising from or related to their use. Investors should be cautious about any and all crypto asset and investment recommendations and should consider the source of any advice on crypto asset selection. Various factors, including personal or corporate ownership, may influence or factor into an expert's stock analysis or opinion. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual crypto assets before making a purchase decision. In addition, investors are advised that past crypto asset performance is no guarantee of future price appreciation. Do not invest money you cannot afford to lose. All investments come with a degree of risk. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing great. Feels good to be back in California. Nice weather, sun. How about yourself? I'm also on the West Coast-ish, uh, in Vegas, doing a little poker teaching. And I'm excited to be back on the mic, talking some crypto. We have a fantastic guest today. Um, why don't you give him a proper introduction? Yeah, so today we have on Dylan Chen, a serial entrepreneur, investor, and uh, builder in the crypto space. So Dylan, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I, I didn't also know uh, Vegas was com- considered the West Coast. Uh, I feel like it's, it's like the mountain ranges, isn't it? Well, when you're from New York and you're in Las Vegas, you feel much closer to the West Coast. That's true. Um, Moran, California people, which is its own experience, which I'm sure you guys are both familiar with. So all in all, you know, I feel very Pacific today. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. I, uh, I'm jealous of the weather that you guys are facing right now. Um, thank you for having me, uh, I guess, to, to say again. Oh, it's our pleasure. So Dylan, we gave you sort of a vague introduction. What are you working on specifically these days that excites you? Man, well, so from the larger perspective in the blockchain space right now, and our specific focus at Commonwealth Labs, it's a small company based in New York, is governance within the, uh, I guess, like the ecosystem. It kind of came from like a, a personal pain point of ours, essentially, um, you know, from, I would say I got my first Bitcoin in 2014 and in various capacities ever since have been doing things part-time and full-time, mind on dormant electricity. Please don't tell the school, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of come after me with the electricity bill now. It did so uh, with a, a co-founder uh, of Commonwealth Labs, Drew, he, he uh, shout out to Drew. We all both did some academic research uh, related to crypto stuff, started another company. But the thing we really faced was like it was tough to really feel a pulse on what was going on in terms of just like governance and issues. All the conversation was happening on Twitter, on Discord. It was really tough to actually gauge sentiment, you know, especially like we both invested in, in the DAO, essentially, or uh, I guess like exchanged Ethereum for DAO tokens. And we basically wanted to help solve that. And that's kind of the current focus at Commonwealth. So you know, you've been in the space since 2014 and you guys feel like 
the problem that you're most passionate about solving is government or governing solutions for blockchain projects. Is that fair? Yes, that is the uh, yeah the thing we're most passionate about. Yeah. So say what are some of what are some of the examples of you think like the most poorly set up uh, governance models for major protocols? Oh man, uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> we <laughs> so tried it, we point. tried it. It is a pain point, and we we try to stay positive. I guess like we always come from the perspective of how can we improve these ecosystems. So like we're early supporters of Ethereum from like you know again as as I mentioned before mining and these other things. And so it's always just heartbreaking to see when an ecosystem that is still doing well or any of these ecosystems that are performing well, we just feel like could could kind of like ten x the amount of developer activity from the core side or the like DAP dev or layer two side, if like they have like an inclusive governance process, uh, you know, without pointing fingers, like other chains that launched mainnet during last summer, 2018, uh, faced like some kind of like governance challenges that they, they had where uh, different validators like voted in different things or blacklisted different addresses. Um, so those would be like examples of kind of uninclusive governance processes. And so I think the things that we largely think about, again, like zooming out a little bit is like, how can we make all the ecosystems inclusive, whether or not they actually do have on-chain governance, if they only have off-chain governance, so to speak, how can we bring forth like the the conversation? Uh, How can we get everyone on the same page or at least like show everyone what page they're on in like a a very, very transparent format? So I I know I talked about generalities there, but um, we're supportive like of all ecosystems. No, I mean, I think that makes sense. Uh, so let's look at some of the major projects. I guess we can start with the OG being Bitcoin. Where do you think there's a shortcoming in terms of Bitcoin's governance? And I guess in practice, we've seen most disputes resolve themselves in either soft or hard forks. Do you think that that's an insufficient solution? This is, this is oh man, we're wading right into it, which I, which I love. I think... Uh, I I personally have um, like I guess like a more nuanced view. I don't think every project needs on-chain governance, but they need a way to like again aggregate signal. And like I guess it really depends on what type of protocol um, you're actually trying to build. If we're talking about Bitcoin or these kind of like sound money type of protocols, I actually do think like something where it, it is like a feature rather than a bug that they might not have um, on-chain governance. It might be too. Uh, you might bring uh, fourth changes too quickly um, versus something like a smart contract platform. So I think like for something like Bitcoin or, or Zcash or Monero, I, I think the solutions like seem pretty good where we want something that's very, very stable. Yeah, uh, I guess like that was the, the thing I would I would kind of say there, but it still can get kind of contentious. And like that, again, an easy solution would be to like have longer form discussions, not just like pithy tweets on Twitter um, where people can actually like be a little more rational with how, you know, hard forks or soft forks uh, actually happen. I think that's a really important layer of nuance. Um, and I, I think that sometimes in the governance conversation, people can maybe get a little bit too narrow with like, you know, in the way that in comparing countries, you might just say it across the line, like democracy is best. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily, that mindset doesn't necessarily translate to crypto projects, which have perhaps much more varied interests and goals than nation right. states. Uh, we don't yep. need to get into whether democracy is best for nation states or whether nation states that have different goals should consider different types of governments, although it is an interesting question. But yeah, I think 
I, I like the way you answered that question a lot, and I think that kind of nuance is needed here. Let me pivot if that's okay. I think that there is a tendency in something like the blockchain space, it's a very sort of, let's say there's a tech utopian influence in mm-hmm. the crypto space that maybe mm-hmm. suggests that like some kind of technology can solve all human problems. Yeah. And I think blockchain governance is one of those areas where you know, just improving technology, you know, maybe you run up against a wall of sorts. Do you, right. How do you think the influence of that kind of like techno-utopian um, contingent has affected the discourse around governance? Wow. So if, if we're in general, like, I, you know, a lot of the language, um, as you talk about, blockchains like seem to, to have the potential to like impact every single sector of society, you know, from finance to, you know, I'll just say like New York, right, as like one place. Um, the governance decisions that happen, and if, if we're, I'll use like cities uh, in the U.S. as examples, Vegas for, for gaming potentially, uh, Silicon Valley for Web3 and like the different software products that are built there, Web2 products like forums, uh, um, as well as like, you know, the, the products that are in the news these days, as well as like Seattle and these other platform things. So, you know, it has the potential to touch everything. And like when we're trying to aim so large, like that does like attract so many different uh, varied interests. And like as we kind of know, like uh, Bitcoin itself, uh, what was what was minted in the first block? It was uh, it was the the article in the I, I believe Financial Times about 2008, and so that kind of like seed was definitely implanted. But I think like if we're if we're gonna try to like represent like all the views and like have an impact across like all society, then we we need to like include all these different types of voices and potentially political philosophies. And I think we're just like going through growing pains. And I think the second thing I would say is that like. The discussions, like the tools that we, we use and communicate with, a lot of nuance is essentially lost. And I, I guess that's one thing that uh, I'm, I, I'll, I'll keep hammering on is the tools that we have right now, we might be optimizing for likes, retweets, different things that aren't always uh, like foundational to getting to like hardcore discussions on like systems that really need change. And even in like our, our normal political discourse in our, well, I guess like the, the, the daily lives of you know, our politicians. It's, it's still really tough to get to substantive discussion and even more so when we lose the nuance of being able to talk face to face. And so I think that's another issue that we talk about. And those kind of like culminate into like these different crypto tribes. And to loop back to the other answer for different use cases, the nuance is again lost. Like, should we govern sound money in the same way that we govern smart contract platforms that need to include and not a lot more innovation to support like the throughput that we might need to like these other platforms? And so... Yeah, I just think we're we're going through a lot of growing pains and we still need to build the right tooling to actually like get to like a place where we can have great discussion uh, to move the space forward to get to like this point where we can impact like all of society. And and we're really, you know, these pla- these, these things take place over 20 or 30 years, right? ARPA um, and like the internet like birthed in the, like the 60s. And if we talk about like the 80s and when uh, Wall Street, like Di Shaw and these other companies started to, to spin up to take advantage of just like all the information that was, that took over, we're still like financializing, I guess, crypto. And like, you know, 90s were when like kind of like, you know, the original internet started to roll around. And so this is playing out maybe a little bit faster, maybe like a 2x speed, but still that's, that's, that's still going to take 20 to 30 years. So natural growing pains. Uh, but we still need to like keep our level heads. So I hear a big part of what you're saying is that you know, a big part of governance is just improving our level of discourse. And better discourse is going to lead to better governance decisions. So you're, you're a platform designer 
and we can get more into specifics of platforms that you've worked on or mm -hmm. are working on. Have you made attempts to incentivize better discourse in your platform design? Yes, that's the, that's the um, short answer. The long answer is the way we view things is there's, I guess you could say like three different types of incentives that like people usually go towards in the kind of like uh, meat space world. I can't believe I just said that. Uh, we are incentivized by, by, by money, fame, and, and power, like, you know, power over other people. And so in the crypto space, we, we see this play out in terms of like, hey, I want to be the most influential on Twitter. Hey, I want to be a whale. Or hey, I want to like, you know, be able to like fork uh, the network away or like have the, the power to influence people to, to make that decision. And I think for any platform, like we, we still have to use all three incentives to, to kind of like create something emergent where, where people actually work together productively. For our platform specifically, we think, so for, I guess, Edgeware, and maybe we can talk about that in, in a second, but for Edgeware, a WASM-based smart contract platform, we are thinking about using or having allow, allowing uh, whoever holds voting power within the treasury uh, and on-chain treasury to vote on allocations of that. And one specific proposal that we feel should be voted on is voter participation. So voters who participate over X amount of time, over the certain period of time, they might be allocated uh, a, uh, a little bit more Edgeware tokens. Um, and so they might have a little bit more influence over, over things in the future. The other types of incentives that we're still thinking about are, you know, the social incentives. So Hive, there are different leaderboards that kind of like we see on Twitter and like people to a certain extent will, will like uh, gauge their discussion and try to be more, become more influential uh, within that. And so there are ways to, to tokenize that uh, and to a certain extent. But that leads into another question of how you actually govern uh, those types of like public goods, those ranking slash leaderboards, should it be a TCR? Should it be something that's governed by a token that isn't transferable? It's a whole of a can of worms. So this, I'll, I'll go back to the first thing. The way we're thinking about incentivizing things right now is just through potential voter rebates, so to speak. I guess this is a good time to pivot into Edgeware specifically. So Edgeware is a smart contracts platform, if I'm... Mm -hmm. it, what, uh, what inspired you to enter the fray in what is perhaps some would consider a crowded space in the blockchain world? Yeah, that is a, a really great question. So I guess, again, it, this comes from like where uh, like our experience building on different platforms, as well as like how we kind of see how we feel like protocols should work. So to, to describe Edgeware a little bit further, we, we kind of see three key features. Any, any smart contract platform should be very dev friendly. So, you know, everything compiles down to WASM. So smart contract developers should be able to use Rust, right, is, is the current thing we're implementing things in. Uh, C, C++, uh, I think people are working on a TypeScript slash assembly script variant and soon JavaScript as well. Um, and then the, the surrounding tooling on that. The second leg is like how smart contract platforms or these like commons, these cooperatives should be governed. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the original token distribution. And so... We're distributing tokens to ETH holders. 90% uh, of tokens are being given away um, in a lock drop. So you lock your Ethereum, you get your Ethereum back. All you kind of give up, quote unquote, is opportunity cost. And you also get Edgeware tokens at the end of that. And then the third leg is essentially still participating and uh, being able to scale, right? So we, we hook right into to Polkadot and we can benefit from their shared security and being able to pass messages between different pair chains. So that goes a long way into like, the kind of blockchain world we see. 
a lot of this was informed essentially, you know, on our experience building on different platforms. We, we built a uh, original startup um, called Source that was Airbnb for Wi-Fi, built a set of smart contracts on Ethereum, and we found it a little bit difficult to navigate um, when, is, when are things going to scale? How do we answer this to our potential investors? Or, um, you know, how do we actually like plan around that? And that was a little bit difficult. So we wanted to have something where we had clear governance. And with the token distribution, you get your tokens and you get allocated on-chain voting rights as well. But the, the larger framing of Edge is that we think these, these projects should be like, not just like one, like there will be network effects, but like, again, they're, they're not like investor owned or anything. They should be like developer and cooperative owned, right? So the incentives may not be to in, in align like value, but like the token should be used to, to like allocate block space or like how, how do we allocate that, right? And that's like the central thing that we're optimizing for. These are like common networks, common goods. And so another entrance to the space should be something that we like, I don't know, I, I guess I would say should be encouraged. I guess the other thing I would say is like, we're still so early again, and I'll harp back to an earlier answer. These things take 20, 30 years to play out. Linux, you know, different OSs that came out, Mac, OS X, iOS, Android, maybe they've kind of settled in now. And like, ideally, I would say like, hopefully should be like other types of common goods. And we think the, the blockchain space should maybe will play out in, in the same type of manner uh, in, in the future. So it's still early. And, you know, we, we want to basically participate in that system in a sort of manner. Since the space we're playing in is potentially so large, if we impact all of society, we'll have probably the three or four winners, but, you know, you'll still have the long tail. I think for Edgeware specifically, we, we like to, we think the feature set um, of scalability, integration to Polkadot, finality, uh, fast block times with like, you know, proof of stake network is like the, the trade-off point between say like something like proof of work based right now, uh, Bitcoin um, and Ethereum and something on the, the far end like EOS or Tron or something like that. And so the thing, the, the space we, we think we'll play in is essentially helping govern uh, Web2 networks, um, helping run or uh, have voting happen on us through for mobile voting uh, in the US or you know, other elections, as well as running DAOs and you know, legally enforceable or legally linkable DAOs and other things like that where you still need high throughput on your transaction speed, as well as still like need pretty high security guarantees. So that was again, a long winded answer. And uh, <laughs> thank you for bearing with me, but yeah, I'll, I'll stick with that. Dylan, I, I want to go back to kind of what's unique to Edgeware, which is the lock drop. And we could link mm -hmm. to this in the show notes, which is kind of the blog post you made around, you know, why the lock drop aligns incentives better than, let's say, you know, an ICO and, or an airdrop or a Merkle mine. But I, I was wondering, doing the lock drop in, which, in the way in which you do it really kind of ties your, your project's early, like, users and investors and value holders as those that are, are long on, on ETH. Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about your reasoning for, for that? The decision-making around that? Yeah. So basically, I, I get uh, – we're – Ethereum supporters, I think, is the way you can think of us. I'm long Ethereum, so to speak. Like, I, I think it's a, a common network. It's it's a block space that like is going to be valuable in the very very long term, and I want to have some ownership within that network. And I think a lot of people feel the same way, right? There's already applications that run on there that have robust usage. Maker uh, sets of DeFi applications. If Ethereum just has those DeFi sets of applications, it's still going to be very very valuable. And so for us, 
uh, since we want to engage uh, a very active community right on, it felt like Ethereum was the natural place to, to help align with. Um, and given like the own, our own teams essentially bent towards being Ethereum contributors uh, slash developers, um, it, it was a natural fit for us. Yeah, and you know, I, I think from all sides to, to engage a smart contract um, platform to, to kind of bootstrap that, we need all five different stakeholders, people who essentially are willing to guarantee the economic security of the network by delegating their stake, different validators, different developers, different people who want to help upgrade the chain, and different end users. And by bootstrapping off Ethereum and in the long term, like helping engage with them, we, we felt that that was kind of the, the best place to start. So you're, you're distributing a lot of the initial funds through Electrop. I wonder how you guys uh, navigated that with your fundraising needs and if the if changes in upfront development cost in the space have allowed you to choose something different than maybe other smart country platforms have in the past? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. I want to be clear for sure that the... So to, to expand on the lock drop a little bit, essentially the, the tokens that anyone locks in, in the, the lock drop contract and spins up their own separate lock.soul. So actually, let me back up even further. So the lock drop is you can lock up for three, six, or 12 months with a corresponding bonus in the amount of edge for a token you receive. You also get your Ethereum back as well. Um, you can also signal, actually. So if you just, we take a snapshot of the chain and 12 months later, post uh, Edgeware network launch, individuals will be able to, to get their Edgeware tokens. But obviously, this comes at the, the downside of not being able to participate in the network early. But it opens up, again, wider uh, distribution to people who want to participate in the network. So there have been other kind of fairly distributed tokens uh, from Bitcoin itself uh, to Litecoin to uh, Grin most recently. And so I, I think throughout like this whole time, we were crypto, whenever crypto kicked off, so to speak, there's always been this, this like other trend of uh, community run, community governed tokens. So it's always been viable, but you know, for various reasons, building out uh, new technology that might be more capital intensive to other things, another alternative route has been chosen. But I guess we're able to benefit from new technology that is being built. We're built on parity substrate. And so we are able to focus on the, the things that were most interesting to us, the new token distribution, how we feel like uh, a chain should be governed, as well as you know, support for a smart contract, a robust smart contract platform versus the, the things that Substrate provides, uh, which is three layers, right? So we just work on the first layer. That's like the interesting parts of the chain. There's the runtime environment, everything compiles out the WASM, and then the, the like lib P2P stuff, the networking layer stuff. And so we don't have to worry about that. And so I think in the future, we will see more tokens being launched this way or networks being launched this way. But I think, I think we've always kind of seen it and, and uh, those community run networks have seemed to uh, work pretty well and so we, we'd like to follow that model, that, 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 that trend of intellectual history that's, uh, that's always been going on. Yeah, there's a, a synergy in the computing space that maybe was lacking a little bit from blockchain in, in the early going, where people you know, were forced to maybe go out on their own to a greater degree than most people in the software space have. So I, I do agree that you're... Or the model you're following, I think, is likely to become much more common as we go forward. I mean, obviously, the many projects have been launched on smart contract platforms, 
but just in terms of, you know, more protocol layer um, platforms. Uh, I yeah. think we'll see that synergy happen more and more. Hopefully, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, we, we definitely want to help publicize the model. Um, we think it's more value aligned. Yeah. So we certainly hope to see a little more. So any project that's out there that wants to test it, come, come hit us up. So how would you define success for Edgeware from a governance perspective? So I guess I can frame that in terms of what we want to achieve in the first year. And then, you know, I guess further out from that. So in the first year, we, we want the lock drop to go well. We want to fairly distribute tokens to all the stakeholders that we hope to see to, to help govern the network. And once the tokens are distributed to everyone, they should be able to vote uh, on different decisions that should happen on the network. In the first year, uh, ideally, we'd like to see two to four different governance proposals happen. One should be a core network upgrade where uh, scalability or, or something is directly influenced. Another thing should be like hopefully the implementation of some kind of like uh, incentivization scheme, whether it be uh, on the, you know, for, to incentivize different smart contract developers to participate in the ecosystem. Those are two things that we'd like to see happen in the first year. I think, um, I guess this is not strictly related to governance, but like, you know, a, a healthy ecosystem of smart contract developers building on top of the platform. But on the governance side in the long term, if we get those, you know, core things right, if people participate actively, if we have good voter participation on those two votes, that's a good sign of uh, a healthy and active ecosystem. And if we're able to, you know, have adequate voter participation there, maybe, you know, however many people lock up, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, if they all of them participate in, in, in future governance votes, that would be something that we can hopefully help uh, show other ecosystems to essentially show that on-chain governance or just like active governance is a model that um, can be used uh, across all different ecosystems. So I think that's the, the side thing or the, the larger macro vision that we're hoping to see um, post-Edge for launch is the active governance components that we build out being used across different chains and ecosystems. I'm curious, uh, the answer to this might be nothing, but... What, what would you say is the biggest threat to Edgeware in terms of something being agreed upon through the governance protocol and not being implemented? Is there any kind of gatekeeper that needs to remain benevolent in order for certain aspects of the governance system to work? Or, or is it totally non-gameable in the current state? If we look at the history of like Lyndon Johnson, like any rules that um, anyone sets out and like given a sufficiently motivated actor, you know, they, they can be like sadly gamed. Like Lyndon Johnson can use like the, the rule of like um, or any parliamentary leader can like choose the flow of, of uh, what uh, proposals or, or bills should come to the floor. And so I would say like the things that we're building are certainly not foolproof. If anything, they act as like empirical evidence that we, you know, something does work. In general, like it's it's really tough to. I was having a conversation around this uh, last week. It's really tough to it's tough to design for humans, and especially in these kind of voting scenarios when people are sometimes not economically incented, or um, at least those economic incentives might play out farther down the line. It's tough to make rational decisions, and a lot of the assumptions that we we make come down to like being able to help make basically product level decisions that help drive people to make those rational decisions. But if that doesn't, if that uh, assumption proves out to be false, then, you know, it, it gets a little bit hairy. So 
I, yeah, even in it, 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 everything is always experimental, you know, uh, like the U.S. is in, you know, it's a 230 or odd years uh, experiment in, in running democracy. Right. There are social systems that we build up that are still norm based. And even if we do have formalization on Edgeware um, in terms of on-chain governance, it's the set of norms around that. And those are those are things that are more qualitative uh, versus quantitative. And those still have a very, very large influence on, you know, overall voter participation, overall rational behavior. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of honestly see how that kind of plays out. It's, 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 it'll be interesting to see in the first year and, you know, the years afterwards. Well, what are some of the things from like a game theory perspective have you learned in terms of protecting, you know, Edgeware from like ways that previous protocols have been gamed in the past? Oh, man. So we know uh, plutocracy is a very bad word in the space, as we know, and it's uh, it's a lot of the things. It's it's one main thing that we try to to guard against. But since we we work in like a, a pseudonymous environment, it's it is tough to to guard against. And so I guess the thing we we try to do to build around that are lock duration voting essentially. So even if we have token weighted voting because of the pseudonymity afforded to us by by blockchains, lock duration voting should allow different individuals to put their money, so to speak, where their mouth is. If they lock for longer um, amount of times, you know, the, the analogy is, or the metaphor is the lock drop. If you lock for more, you get more tokens. Um, if you lock uh, for vote for longer, you get more voting power. That's one way we hope to essentially make things more fair. From, I guess like from a, from a game theoretic perspective, um, even further out from that, um, a lot of it still... A lot of the math is still yet to be, I guess, like discovered, so to speak. Eugene Wei wrote this really great post, Status as a Service, and a lot of things that govern or um, in- incentivize different actors within ecosystems often aren't financial. And I guess game theory, to a certain extent, may fall apart within those areas when, when people aren't judged on like a, a, a utility based, a, a utility basis, right? And they're incentivized by other types of you know, social behaviors. And those are things that we still haven't seen yet. Uh, we'd like to, we'd like to play a part in like furthering that, I guess, science, so to speak, by building another experiment. But the core, core issue that we've come against are just like issues trying to, to guard against plutocracy and basically capture of network governance by large token holders. That's the first thing that we want to tackle. Right. And so that, that lockup mechanic, I guess it, that's essentially what you're trying to do is increase the power of a very passionate minority for any given subject, you know, even yeah. if they're restricting their ability to counter the plutocracy on most areas. Yeah. And in a stronger like variant of this, you know, Glenn, Glenn Wiles work on quadratic voting are things that should ho- hopefully take place on a network post launch. I would love to see that as a network proposal. If someone wants to propose that and, and contribute on Edgeware, Please come forward. <laughs> yeah, but lock duration voting uh, and allowing putting uh, allowing smaller voters to put their money where their mouth is 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 something that yeah we're we're uh, enabling right from the start. And I just want to highlight that like what an awesome thing it is, and how refreshing it is, and how new it is to have a platform developer say like I really hope that this thing gets implemented because I think it's really cool without saying like oh we're doing this. Uh, because I like it. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we're you know we're especially 
uh, sorry to cut you off, but you know, especially since we're, you know, we're, we're only, we're only going to be one small stakeholder, right? 90% of the tokens is being given away. So we already do have to appeal basically to, to the crowd to, to help run the network itself. And I guess that's one radical experiment that we're running is like, this is decentralized by, by nature by, from the start. It seems to have worked for other networks, you know, Bitcoin or, or even Grin, but uh, hopefully it can work for a smart contract platform as well. What kind of got you to pivot from being on the investing side in VC to you know building and being involved in crypto? Uh, largely, one, wanted to sink my teeth into something, and then two, felt like just a larger impact could be made um, on this side. It seemed from our perspective that there weren't enough projects being built, uh, and like we, we just like needed more talent on that side. And I guess like thinking selfishly, you know, a lack of talent is like an opportunity there. I, you know, and it's also really fun to build. Uh, there's a different set of challenges. And like, I think in the future, I'll, I'll probably get back on the other side of the table. But it's, you know, it's something like, like just blockchain in general that I'm deeply passionate about. So any way in which could help further than that, like was, was always the goal. I don't know. How about you? Like, what, what have you, what, uh, what motivated you or like kind of uh, made that shifted your focus or if, if, it, if it has at all? Yeah. I mean, I, there's there's a lot that went into it, but but basically I wanted to, you know, just have a bigger kind of impact in my life and be working on something over you know that I felt like I could build and work on for many many years, and for a variety of reasons I felt like being on kind of the investing side, you know the approach we take at Ezra is much more you know active investing in terms of kind of the support we give and the way we think about things, but you know different than kind of the more entrepreneurial side of things that I've been on kind of until about a a year ago. And then of course, yeah, just feeling that this, like the internet is a a really big kind of seismic shift in the way that our society organizes oneself and really exciting for me from the perspective of, you know, uh, freedom and autonomy and decentralization. So just, just very motivated to get involved in the industry. And then, you know, I felt like I'd be able to have the biggest impact investing. Yeah, I feel that. It's, I mean, it, you know, it's an ecosystem we're building, right? And so we just need all actors involved, whether it be developers, investors, just like people who are able to communicate clear, clearly. And like, it, it seems like the, the podcast you're doing, it, it goes a long way into educating people um, and, and getting me, more people involved. Yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's not easy. I don't know what we, I feel like we, we had like such a great conversation going before like on just like capital allocation and other topics. And uh, I feel like the, uh, you know, we got cut in by the, the podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of rare that I find people that are as passionate about me about thinking about, you know, why most active managers fail and, you know, kind of how markets are tightening up. And yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, the, even like one of my kind of investing heroes, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, they're, their returns have definitely been, you know, at least relatively speaking to their their golden years, quite poor over the last kind of five or six years. And I and I wonder if that trend will continue and just how much they can really compete against, you know, more kind of quantitative base funds. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, well, well I, I actually haven't read the, the latest shareholder letter. But like, it seems like they're just doing buybacks, right? And like that, that should like juice some of their returns, at least on the, the, uh, the equity or like price side for Berkshire, 
Berkshire A slash B. And like, I mean, if there are not that many opportunities, then that's something that needs to change. Um, but like, I, I think I read another piece of like research that's not strictly related to capital allocation, which is like, you know, supply side, but like rather that like aggregate demand side of like how the laws on labor need to be strengthened. So like we can actually like increase purchasing power for individuals. Um, this is like what, what the article says, like MIT professor, blah, 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 network science. So like pretty legit, so to speak. But like, I mean, it, it like it gets it feels like a very pragmatic approach or like network science approach to like more liberal ideas, which is like, I, I mean, I wonder, like, it seems like he's done his homework and like it seems like 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 a framework for sound proposals. And like if we bo- do bootstrap um, aggregate demand, then we can potentially bootstrap like, you know, investor returns. Right. If consumers have more capital to allocate, then like then like it should eventually like trickle up maybe to uh, to the, the capital allocators but like yeah i mean uh, it's like a larger societal thing like it seems like returns are going down across the board because there's less interesting opportunities less interesting opportunities literally because like consumers can't spend enough money uh, because they don't have it was the thesis of the paper and so like i like i think whenever i always try to think like as broadly as possible at the expense of depth obviously but is there some other part of the system that we're not thinking about that we can optimize for or change like the, the rules of the game, so to speak, think outside the box. And this was certainly a proposal that, that did that. No, thank you so much for your time. And it's been a pleasure talking. Is there anywhere that you'd like to direct our listeners to learn more about what you're working on or just learn more about the space in general that you think is interesting and we'll yeah, post definitely. in the show notes to these? Yeah. So, you know, always happy to have these kinds of discussions, especially from people who ask, uh, great questions in like a public format. So hopefully like everyone can kind of benefit from it. I'd love to hear any feedback, obviously from anyone else. Um, and I guess for the best way to get involved with the Edgeware project and like Commonwealth Labs uh, as a larger entity, Hey Edgeware at, on Twitter at Hey Edgeware um, or edgewa.re. So Edgeware and then like a period between the R and the E. Those both have like basically links to everything that we do across the web. GitHub, Discord, you know, our email list, information on the lock drop. You can basically find all that from those kind of two places. Please comment, you know, if especially if you hear this podcast, like, you know, we'd, we'd love to, to kind of further the discussion there in a public setting so everyone can benefit. Uh, again, thank you for having me on. This was really great.